everyone, before we get into this week's episode of the podcast, I want to shout out a major sponsor of the podcast, that being Zencaster. Zencaster is the ultimate all-in-one podcasting platform. It has been designed to bundle all your podcasting needs from recording, editing, distributing, and monetizing, thus making it easy for people to create their podcast and manage their podcast. In terms of recording, it gives you studio quality recording features such as video up to 4K as well as recording audio in 16-bit 48K web audio tracks regardless of your internet connection and also has a really nice cloud feature that keeps your backups of recording. If you're someone that wants to get into podcasting like myself who uses Zencaster for Talk of the Town, definitely make sure to go check out Zencaster in the show notes down below. everyone welcome to talk of the town this is a podcast where we talk about all things media creators business and more my name is tristan i'm the host of the podcast if this is your first time listening to the podcast thank you for tuning in and if you're returning from previous episodes of the podcast thank you so much for tuning in to new episodes today guys we got some really interesting stories to talk about on the podcast and before we get into those i want to let you guys know to make sure and go subscribe to our newsletter where we talk about all the topics that we mention in this episode of the podcast, as well as some other interesting stories from the world of creators, entertainment, business, and other related areas. All right, guys. For our first topic, we have some really interesting news coming from the entertainment journalism space. That being that David Katz, the longtime executive editor at The Hollywood Reporter, who has well been known for impactful long-form narrative and investigative work, has been appointed by the publication as its new chief content officer. In an article that THR posted, Katz will closely collaborate with top editors at THR to, quote, enhance storytelling across multiple platforms, allocate resources strategically to significant stories, and in conjunction with editorial director Nikesa Moody and deputy editorial director Janine Pion will spearhead the development of innovative initiatives that will advance THR brand. Now, Nikesa Moody also expressed her appreciation for David Katz's invaluable contributions in shaping some of THR's most captivating stories in recent years, saying, quote, David's been an integral part of helping to shape some of THR's most compelling stories over these past few years. He's a deep knowledge of the industry and knows the keys to creating must-read features. I look forward to working more closely with him as we continue to build our already excellent journalism. Now, when I was sent this story by a close friend of mine in the entertainment space, I was really intrigued by this because many of you that follow me specifically on social media probably know that both on and off of the podcast, I retweet a lot from the Hollywood Reporter and is frequently a source that I use for information here on the podcast. And it's really because also the work that David Katz has done as the executive editor of THR has really spoke for what the brand has been over the last six years, right? This is also an individual who prior to being at THR was 
the articles editor at Esquire. He had stints at Vanity Fair and Time Out, as well as you know articles that made it into Men's Journal, GQ, among others. So this is someone who really has a lot of industry knowledge and will be able to bring that to the table and really craft, I feel, some interesting and compelling features that will captivate readers, right? You know, and again, THR has really been on a, you know, just a roll recently. They have been doing exceptional, and I'm excited to see this. I'm excited to see what this means for him, you know, moving from that executive editor position to this chief content officer role, and hopefully what that means for THR. Do they do more podcasts? Do they try to go into different variations of journalism? I would love to know what you guys think about that on social media because I myself am really intrigued by this. All right, guys. Now, getting into our second topic, we have some news coming out from the entertainment and gaming space. And this has to do around the Swedish gaming company called Embracer Group. They've announced earlier today a comprehensive restructuring program and that making the company, quote, leaner, stronger, and more focused. As a part of this, the Hollywood Reporter is noting that the company will be implementing cost-cutting measures, including layoffs, the sale or closure of certain gaming studios underneath Embracer, as well as the termination of some ongoing game development projects. For those that don't know, Embracer is actually the company that owns the IP catalog and worldwide rights to the Lord of the Rings trilogy and Hobbit. And so this is really intriguing. Now, the company has not provided any specific details regarding the number of layoffs, but it's confirmed that its current headcount of 17,000 employees will be reduced. They also plan to decrease spending on non-development costs such as overhead or other operating expenses and also reduce third-party publishing and prioritize more intellectual property being created internally and things of that nature. There was an open letter from the CEO of Embracer, Lars Wingfors, that basically expressed the company's commitment to transforming itself into a, quote, highly cash flow generative business. They noted several significant investments and acquisitions and accelerated growth among other things. I myself was really intrigued by hearing this because Embracer has been one of those companies that has really been on a roll for a very long time. Obviously, again, as I mentioned, this is a company that owns the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and they have a lot of other well-known IP underneath it. Um, And so it is really, really saddening to see that They're going to be closing both their game studios. They're going to be canceling some games and laying off staff. But this is not entirely surprising, though. This company just, you know, had a $2 billion contract fall through. And so it is very painful, but it is kind of understood. Now, this is a studio, for those that don't really know, has some really impressive brands underneath it. We're talking Saber Interactive, THQ Nordic, Gearbox, Deep Silver, um, you know, tons of other companies within it. Um, you know, Embracer recently came out with Dead Island 2. They've come out with games like Payday 3, Homeworld, uh, Warhammer 40,000. So it really sucks to hear this. Uh, as someone who is from the gaming space, 
Um, but I hope that everything goes well for them and that not too many people lose their jobs. And for those that do, it really does suck. And I hope that they're able to land on their feet somewhere else. All right, guys. Now, getting into our third topic for this particular episode, I have some really intriguing news. Now, many of you guys probably know that a very long time ago, Marvel had itself into a little bit of a copyright situation because a lot of the characters that Marvel owns or really has you know utilized over the last few years has really been stuff that were more work for hire type things and uh, ultimately there were a series of lawsuits that were done you know back a few years ago around really some of the big characters we're talking the avengers captain america iron man daredevil um marvel superheroes and and tons of others as well that are basically under you know a copyright termination lawsuit now for those that don't understand you know copyright law basically authors or their heirs right you know the people who are essentially the estate of authors have the ability to reclaim copyrights after a specific period of time. And we've seen this with uh, Larry Lieber, Jane Colin, Steve Ditko, Ron, um, or Don Heck, and Don Rico basically all filed copyright termination notices to Marvel uh, back in 2021, basically trying to say, we want these characters back and we want the ownership of them. And Marvel basically kind of countersued and is now really trying to get into the beginning stages of the legal process over this. Um, on top of that, the termination notices have also stated that, quote, any character story element or indicia reasonably associated with the works is also part of these copyright termination notices. And keep in mind, when we talk about the Avengers, we're also talking about characters like Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, Hulk, Thor, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, tons of other ones as well, especially ones that are still characters being used by the MCU as we speak and probably in the future as well. So it is really intriguing. Now, Marvel, it said by Deadline and THR have reached resolutions and for those disputes leading to the filing of joint stipulations for voluntary dismissal. However, in the case of Steve Ditko's works, who you know most notably created um, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, passed away in 2018, and his estate is basically still trying to fight out the you know copyright terminations and things of that nature. Uh, it's said that last month in May, dwelling motions for summary judgments were filed with specific district court with the deadline responsive set for June 16th, which is fastly approaching. It is really intriguing to see what happens in this particular case because, oh boy, you know, to think what happens if some of these characters are not being allowed to be used by Marvel anymore would be a shame, right? You know, as someone who grew up watching the Marvel movies and Marvel cartoons and things of that nature. Um, this would be a death blow, especially to Marvel and Disney. 
Um, but as we all know, Marvel and Disney have the best legal team in the world, and I'm sure that Marvel is doing really, really great. You know, they have Dan Petroselli and uh, Molly Lenz, who's another prominent attorney, also uh, handling a lot of these issues. So it is very intriguing to see uh, where Marvel is with these copyright determinations. It's nice to see that they've at least reached resolutions, hopefully meaning that they can continue to use these characters. But I want to know from you guys, are you guys intrigued by this? Have you guys been paying attention to this for quite some time? Let me know what you guys think on social media. I'd love to get your thoughts. Hey, everyone. I wanted to take a moment to stop and talk about some really awesome sponsors of the podcast. The first one being Fanatics. Fanatics sells officially licensed merchandise for some of the biggest leagues like the NCAA, NFL, MLB, NBA, and much more. They have a huge selection of jerseys, shirts, hats, collectibles, memorabilia, and much more, including 500,000 items from all of the top brands in sports. And it is a really amazing platform. I'm sure if you yourself as a sports fan, no matter where you live in the world, have tried to get your hands on really amazing jerseys or collectibles or memorabilia, for some of your favorite athletes or teams, I'm sure you've gone to Fanatics. So make sure to go check out the link down below in the show notes and have fun. Another sponsor of the podcast I want to talk about is Fierce. Fierce is a finance super app that puts your money to work for you. Just a couple of the cool things that Fierce is coming out with is a no-fee debit card that has access to 55,000 ATMs across the country. On top of that, if you're someone that really wants to make your money work for you, they have both FDIC-insured savings accounts up to 4.25% APY, as well as being able to do investing in stocks and ETFs while earning yield on that. And at the same time, they're one of the only companies out there doing regulated crypto trading, which is really awesome, as well as a 1.5% cashback credit card with wealth tracking and 24-7 live support. This is also a company that was created by the former CIO of the New York Stock Exchange and a lot of other people from Chime, Bank of America, Gemini, and tons of other big-name financial brands. So it's a company that you can trust. I'm an investor in the company as well. And I really hope you guys do go check it out. The link will be down in the show notes below. And the last sponsor for this episode that we need to talk about is Marriott Bonvoy. It is a loyalty program at Marriott International, obviously one of the world's largest hotel chains. The program allows members to earn points for stays at Marriott properties. And these points can also be redeemed for free nights, room upgrades, and other perks. They also include tiers with their program such as late checkout breakfasts and they can even earn points through partnerships with other companies like airlines credit card companies and other travel providers i myself have been a big believer in marriott whenever i am traveling i always stay at a marriott property because the quality and the care that they give to guests is amazing so if you're looking to join the marriott family Make sure to go check out the link down in the show notes below. With that being said, let's get to the podcast. Now, getting into our fourth topic for this episode, boy, oh boy, we finally got the axe at the CW, and it is both with great news and some sad news. 
the CW has in line with the network's trend of renewing some of its existing scripted series has officially renewed both All American Homecoming for a third season with 13 episodes and Superman and Lewis will be returning for a fourth season consisting of 10 episodes. This comes after an extended period of negotiations between the CW, Nexstar, and Warner Brothers Television, which produces both of these shows. This renewal will also solidify Superman and Lewis as the sole remaining DC series on the network for the upcoming 2023-2024 broadcast season. Superman and Lewis, as you guys know, an integral part to the CW's DC Universe is among three shows awaiting renewal decisions including now-renewed All-American Homecoming and Gotham Knights. Reports from Deadline have confirmed that while Superman and Lewis and All-American Homecoming are going to be returning alongside other flagship series like All-American and Walker, the new freshman series Gotham Knights, which I was a huge fan of, has been canceled after one season with its remaining two episodes left to air. You know, Deadline notes that while Superman and Lewis has demonstrated comparable performance to All-American and Walker, because it is more grounded in superhero nature, it's resulted in higher production costs due to extensive special effects and as well licensing fees. So it is being said that essentially while Superman and Lewis is going to be renewed as well as All-American being renewed, these are going to have heavy budget cuts implemented which means a reduction in the number of series regular cast members there are also going to be some supporting cast members likely to be impacted for both of these shows this essentially again also applies to all american because compared to most cw shows which are shot in canada and specifically vancouver all american is shot in los angeles which makes it gradually more expensive for a television show uh, so this is really, really interesting to see this happening. Um, as I've been hearing from a lot of sources within the space, Warner Brothers Television made a proposal about a reduced license fee that it could make the shows for. While it was not close to the million dollar an episode that the new leadership of the CW has been targeting, it was still a significant reduction that could make the series feasible for the network while still making financial sense for the studios to continue it on broadcast television. Brett Schwartz, the president of entertainment at the CW, basically said, quote, we are thrilled to bring All-American Homecoming and Superman and Lewis back to the CW. These series are two of our strongest performers across our linear and digital platforms with some of the most passionate fan bases in all of television. We are grateful to our partners at Warner Brothers Television and Berlanti Productions for their continued collaboration, and we cannot wait to get started on the new season. That being said, I want to give my thoughts because when I saw this information yesterday, I was both happy and I was conflicted because as someone who has been waiting and waiting and waiting and trying to gather sort of the idea of what would be happening from the offices in Burbank for the CW, it is really intriguing to hear All-American Homecoming being renewed for season three this is a show that while i'm grateful it has been renewed i was also not surprised if it would have been canceled in favor of a show like gotham knights or walker independence or the winchesters at the same time as well a lot of people were clamoring for superman and lewis to be canceled at the cw to move over to hbo max 
We've already talked about how in the past James Gunn, who's now one of the co-CEOs of DC Studios, has said whether or not the CW were to cancel Superman and Lois, they would probably had put it on Max as a Max original. And honestly, I think that would have been the best thing to do. But it's understandable. And it's really sad to see Gotham Knights go. This is a show that really did not get a lot of credit for how good of a show it was, especially in its first season. This is a show that, if you remember, when the trailer dropped last summer, a lot of people hated it. A lot of people were not giving the show a chance. And from the very earliest episodes of this season and the overall series, it got better and better and more darker and more intense. The characters had more development to them and really brought a really unique perspective to DC and the world of Gotham. And I really am disappointed in this decision. I feel sad for all the cast and crew members and people who worked on this show because they poured their blood, sweat, tears, and everything into it. Um, I've also read that, you know, obviously Misha Collins, who plays Harvey Dent on the show, uh, was off of social media this past weekend um, and still off social media as of my, you know, knowledge of recording at this time of the episode. So I feel like this is really saddening. Um, but also, uh, I think it means to be more grateful for these final two episodes of Gotham Knights. Um, you know, there are people who are trying to save this show just like previously with shows like Walker Independence and the Winchesters. So it'll be very intriguing to see if Warner Brothers Television does try to shop this show somewhere else, whether it be in Netflix, whether it be on Max or some other platform out there. I do think that it is very possible, but it will be very intriguing to see what happens moving forward. But the CW itself has really been in a very intriguing and very controversial time, right? As we've seen the amount of scripted series on the network go from a high of 19 last year to, you know, a just small amount of shows now, that being only four scripted original shows on the network. It is a really sad time for the CW. Um, as we move into a, a period of time where there will be more co-productions, acquisitions, and less homegrown scripted originals for the network. But let me know what you guys think on social media. Are you fans of Superman and Lewis? Are you a fan of All-American Homecoming? Were you a fan of Gotham Knights like I was? And what are your thoughts about this? Let me know what you guys think on social media. All right. And getting into our last and final topic, we need to talk about some really interesting news coming from the sports and business space. And this really has to do around the PGA and Live Golf. Now, many of you guys probably have heard that Live Golf, which is a professional golf league created by the um, Saudi Arabian um, Public Investment Fund, has recently announced a merger with the PGA Tour. This comes after months of competition, months of anti-competitive lawsuits being thrown at each other, and a lot of just poaching players from the PGA Tour coming over to live, offering crazy amounts of salaries. We've heard the news that 
Tiger Woods was offered around $800 million to come over to Live Golf at one point, which he declined. We've heard hundreds of millions of dollars being thrown to some of the other players that did join the Live Golf tournament. And basically what's been announced is that the U.S. Senate is launching an investigation into the agreement between both the PGA and Live Golf. Now, the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations for the U.S. Senate basically says that they're really taking a look into what uh, the potential risks are associated with the Saudi government, assuming control over what has long been a you know prestigious American sports in um, sports institution. Uh, in a letter addressed to the PGA Commissioner Jay um, Mohanian. Uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal expressed concerns about the sudden and significant changes in the PGA's tour stance against Live Golf. Um, and, you know, for those that don't really understand why there's a lot of um, concern, is because basically the Saudi Public Investment Fund, according to the agreement, will invest in a new for profit subsidiary of the PGA Tour, and the PGA Tour will essentially remain a majority of the board seats in the new entity while the Saudi PIF will hold a minority stake. Um, so basically there is questions being raised about the intentions to maintain its tax exempt status, uh, among other types of things as well. They've set a deadline for June 26 for the PGA commissioner to provide a response. And also that a similar letter has been sent to Greg Norman, who is the CEO of live golf. Um, but what they hope to do through this, again, is gain a better understanding of how the PGA Tour will retain control over this new venture, how they will recognize opportunity for players, communities, and the sport as a whole. I'm really intrigued by this just because, one, I did not see this merger happening between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. But at the same time, again, I'm also not surprised that this is happening. This is something that um did make sense right is that um pga tour has said they did not have the financial resources to continue their legal battles with live golf because of the backing of you know the saudi public investment fund so it is very intriguing to first see that merger happening um but also to see very big scrutiny around these two coming together, I think, will be one of the few times where we see probably a merger get shut down because this just makes a ton of sense to get shut down. Keep the PGA Tour pure and as it's been. And I think Live Golf, you know, minus the involvement of the Saudi Arabian government, has actually been really great for the sport, having more competition giving more to players and, you know, a different format and a different viewing experience and things of that nature has ultimately made the sport a lot better. And I think that's one of the few things that's really great about competition. Uh, no matter who's involved in a particular sport or, you know, industry or things of that nature. Um, so I'm really intrigued by this, but I want to know from you guys, are you a fan of golf? Are you a fan of the PGA tour or live golf? What are your thoughts on this merger? I'm really intrigued by it, and I want to know what you guys think. All right. So with that being said, guys, this is the end of the podcast. If you did enjoy this episode, 
please make sure to give it a rating on whatever audio platform you're listening to. It really means a lot to myself and everyone working on the podcast as well, guys. Make sure to go check out these sponsors in the show note down below. They really help with making the podcast possible as well, guys. Make sure to go check out the newsletter for the podcast that is hosted on Beehive down in the show notes below, as well as all our social medias and everything like that. With that being said, guys, my name is Tristan. I'll see all of you guys in the new episode.